0: Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Aaron. On behalf of our staff, my wife, and all of the leaders that served uh, to set up today, we're so glad that you're here. Hey, if you're a guest with us for the very first time, so glad that you're here with us. I always invite our guests to come at least three times. We say three times. And here's why, because you really can't get a good feel of a place unless you come a couple of times. And so my hope and encouragement is that you would come out and try us out. We want to be hopefully your place of where we can find home, you can find rest, and find spiritual family. That's kind of our language we use here today. And so so glad that you're here with us. Also I want to welcome everybody listening to on our podcast. What you might not know is that we have hundreds of people who actually follow us on our just our social media, follow us online, follow our podcast. So I want to say hello to you, or, or maybe you're missing today and you're on the treadmill right now. Hello. Everybody's hello, right? Awesome. So glad that everybody's here. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 15, the book of Luke. If you don't know where that is, it's in what we call the New Testament. It's kind of the back half of the book. And uh, it'll be one of the four Gospels uh, today. And so it's going to be awesome and uh, excited to, to start a brand new series today called Best Summer Ever. How many of y'all would like to have a good summer this summer? Come on, y'all. We ready for like, just want to have exciting. I would rather have, I'd like to have a better summer than I did last year. And that doesn't mean it was bad last year. I just want to get better. And so I want to have the best summer ever. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be again. It's in one of the four gospels, is what we call the lives of Jesus. And so inside of the New Testament starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're going to be in the the book of Luke. And uh, Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be. If you're not, we're going to put up on the screens here in just a minute. But but I'm going to give you some context real quick of kind of what's happening inside of Luke chapter 15. Right now in this part of the book, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. He's speaking. He's doing all these incredible things. And he's reaching out to Uh, to people who maybe that would not normally be reached out to and uh, he's starting to connect with what we would call even the Bible lines out tax collectors and sinners And he's got, anytime you have tax collectors and sinners in that area, there was always people following Jesus. There was two types. There was the sinners and there was the Pharisees. And what's interesting about the Bible is that it actually highlights that there were like the tax collectors and sinners. And you would wonder like, why did they separate that? Well, because they always thought sinners were sinners. But then tax collectors were like the worst kind of sinners because they were the people who betrayed their own for the the government that they were serving. And so they were like the super sinners that you can kind of say. But then at the same time, on the other side, you had the Pharisees and you had, like, the people following Jesus, so you had, like, the Christians, and then you had the super Christians in their mind, and so they're trying to, he's, that's the audience, and that's an important piece, because we're going to get to that in Luke chapter 15, but he's sitting down, he's eating with sinners, Pharisees get mad, because that's what righteous, religious, indignant people do, they get mad when Jesus starts to love people who don't get love, that's just the way that it works, and so they get mad, and they ask Jesus, Jesus, why would you ever do this? Like, don't you understand? you're like supposed to be this like amazing holy Messiah. Why would you, if you're holy, why would you hang out with the unholy? And Jesus answers, his answer comes in this part of scripture. So Luke chapter 15, and his answer is a series of three stories. The first story, is one about lost sheep, and Jesus tells this great story about a man who lost his sheep, has 100, and he leaves the 99 to go get one, and he picks him up, puts him on his shoulders, and he brings him back, and he says this great statement, and I I don't want to bypass it. I don't want to paraphrase it. I want to show it to you. This is an incredible statement. He says this in the verse, Luke chapter 15. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing. Ever say more. Yeah, this is important, okay? This, uh, this isn't even a part of my message, but I had to highlight it because it's so good, okay? More rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. May this be our church, okay? Because honestly, most churches are the, the opposite. They're all about the 99. And like, oh man, we're so good and everybody's so bad, but good thing we're good. And so we want to be the one where I want to reflect heaven. And so if this is a big deal, let's not be the church that tries to reflect earth or maybe religion or like righteous people. Let's reflect heaven because if they're more rejoicing in heaven over one coming, we got to be like that, y'all. Like, that's got to be our focus. Like, we can't just be good with what we got going on in here. There's got to be a moment in time where you walk in and you go, man, I can't. Where you don't walk in and go, someone's sitting in my seat. Where you walk in and go, man, someone is sitting in my seat. Heaven's rejoicing, so am I. So we got to be like that, okay? So that's the first story. That didn't even, that's for free, all right? So that's not even in the message. So he's, he's talking about the sheep. He goes and gets the sheep. Then he goes on and he goes, y'all didn't get it. So he tells another story. And He tells a story about a woman who loses a coin. And he says, well, why? That, this woman runs around. She changes the whole house. She's like trying to find this lost coin. She finds it. And then they say there's a bunch of rejoicing. And then he gets into it because I feel like he's like, you ever told a story to your kids and you feel like they didn't get it? I think this is what he does. And he gets into Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he says this, and Jesus continued. He said, there was a man who had two sons. Everybody say two sons. Okay, then he goes on to say, next. He goes, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of my estate. So he divided his property between them. And he said, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He goes, so, so he kind of comes to his senses and realizes, he says, I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. This is interesting because we do this. And he goes on to say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He hasn't even talked to dad yet, remind you. So he's not even said anything to him yet. And he said, so he got up and went to his father. And by a while, he was still a long way off. He's still rehearsing. He's still trying to talk himself into this. He's still trying to figure out what he's going to say to dad. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I love that. And he goes on to say, the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he says this, he says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's party. This is incredible. He says, For this son of mine was dead, that was dead is alive again, and he was lost, and, and now he's found. So then he, they begin to, to celebrate. What an amazing story of what you might have heard uh, is called the prodigal son. Have y'all ever heard that story, the prodigal son? You don't even have to really be a Christian here to know about the prodigal son, because you know even uh, movies use the idea of the prodigal son. Someone who, who was a part of the family, left, had uh, lived a prodigal life, came back, and is now in the arms of the father. And so I'm going to teach today um, just a little about how to have the best summer ever in your life, if we have a good hum- humility posture. But I'm going to teach it from a little different angle, I think, than you might have heard. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, that we're here to honor you. We're here to worship you. We're here to give you our all. We pray that today, Lord, we would serve you in the best way we can, and that's why I'm giving you our all. I pray that every time, Lord God, we're sitting in this chair, God, we would have the Holy Spirit speak to us, God, and that we would listen, we would receive, we would get something that, that you have for us today. May we walk out of your different than the way we walked in, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. How many of y'all are married in here? Raise your hand if you're married. Y'all married in here are awesome. Like we're part of a, you know, what I would call a, uh, you know, a fraternity or sorority. If you're a lady, you know, it's like we're just a part of a group of people who, who thought that if we would just get married, things would be better. You know what I mean? And, and I remember like when I got married, I love my wife. And, and, you know, when I was younger, I met her when I was 15. And I've just realized over a long period of time in, in my own marriage and then just even counseling in marriage and being a pastor, that marriage is literally the hardest thing you could ever do. Because you're putting two sinful people together and hoping something works out. And no one in the world does that. And not like with any reality, and go like, yeah, that's how it works. Well, we do that with marriage. And so I I, I found that like marriage can be really hard. And in fact, putting two people together because you typically come from two different points of view. I'll give you an example. Um, in my in my life, you know, we've had the 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 age-old argument of the um, and this is super important because if you don't get this right, I mean, y'all need to like lean in. This is important. If you don't get this right, this can ruin your marriage. But like, which way the toilet paper rolls off the you know, whether it's fold over or it's under, you know? And, and so let's just buy a poll of people who, let's just find out which one is right and which one is wrong. Who believes it's fold down, like under, like it comes from the bottom. Anybody raise your hand. Any sinful people in here? Anybody, Anybody just don't love God. Just, you just don't care. Anybody in here about to fold over where it's, there you go. It just folds down. Like it's serving you. I want it to serve me. I'm here to serve you and to be used. Is that too much information, TMI? Uh, how about temperature control inside your house? Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of like the biggest, one of the bigger fights, you know? And I've noticed that some ladies like it warmer. You know, some ladies say, y'all like it warmer. You like maybe in like a like balmy 72, right? You know, you like it not too not too cold, not too hot. My wife did not come from you. She's not one of you guys. She's She's defected. She likes to keep it at a... A balmy 53. <laughs> and so I have to walk around in the summertime with like a parka <laughs> in my own house. I don't understand. And so she's just, it's something I'm getting counseling for. Um, maybe the craziest thing that I didn't expect, life is full of unexpected things. I didn't expect that. You know, I didn't expect to fight over toilet paper. I didn't expect to, to have issues with you know, just weird things. One of the things that I, probably the most thing I thought, I find it was weird, is uh, one time when I first got married, we had my kids, and we had, we had, I had twins right away. So we, we had two little baby boys, and their twins, And, and so we get into a new apartment, and this apartment had what I called a hallway, and what I realized in my life is that I had this thing in my heart where I always wanted to give my wife a hallway. Now, if you don't, if you grow up, like, I didn't grow up with money. I didn't grow up in things, so, like, we always had a small house or a small apartment, and for some reason, we didn't have many hallways, and I don't know why. Again, we all wait. Look, I'm weird, okay? Let's just, we'll well, I'll get that out of the way. And I wanted to, but in my mind, I'm like, when I get married to my wife, I'm going to give her a hallway. So we get into a house or into an apartment that had two bedrooms and a hallway. So we get in this hallway and in the hallway was the only bathroom in our apartment. And so um, when, I, when I was younger, I used to stay up really late at night because I used to like to watch the infomercials and play Xbox all night while I'm married. I'm like, you you grow up. I know I, my issue. And so, and so she went to bed. It was really late at night. And so I went into the hallway bathroom. I took my contacts out. Now, I don't see, I can't see very well. I don't see well at all. I have really bad eyesight. And when I take my contacts out at night, I really can't see. I'm really like, I'm dead serious. When it's dark and my contacts are out, I'm blind. Like I can't see. So I follow the hallway wall. I feel, you know what I'm saying? Along the wall. So I, I took my contacts Out, turn the lights off. I start feeling along the wall. I get to the door, and guys, I'm telling you, if I'm lying, I'm dying. This is what happened. I open the door, and I've never heard our door creak before, but it creaked. It went, "Ah." I was like, that's weird. And I look over at our bed, and the moon was shining into our bed, onto our bed, and there was like a mist in the air. I'm not kidding you. I'm looking over and I'm seeing again. Remember, I don't see a lot, so I'm seeing shadows of this, and I'm like I don't understand. Now, I'm a little afraid of the dark. Anybody else afraid of the dark? Like, I just believe that, like, if the enemy is going to send demons after anybody, wouldn't it be a pastor, right? Right? Like and so I just think he's after me, and so I think at night I grew up thinking, you know, we're watching Carmen and Satan bite the dust, and it's like okay, the devil's out there, he's real, he's gonna send demons, it's gonna come at night, they're gonna look at kind of the size of my kids, and so they're gonna come out, and so I'm like waiting, I'm like I'm I'm trying to I'm still trying to feel along the wall, I look at him over there, I see the light, the, the creaking doors opening up, so the lights coming in, I'm scared, I'm freaking out, I'm like oh man, this is it, this is when Satan comes out, I don't know what's gonna happen, and I'm not kidding you, this is what happened. I look at the bed, my wife was sleeping and. Her Her body, literally, she leaned up to a 90-degree angle, and she didn't say anything. And I was like, this is it. This is when when it all goes down. I start to pray. I'm like, Lord Jesus, help me. I believe in you. I know you're real, but please don't let my, my wife be possessed. And I look at her, and she, she turns her head, and I'm not kidding you. And she, I'm telling you, this is what she said. She screamed out. This is what she did. She started moving the sheets along the bed like this. And she looked at me, and she said, the babies. Now, I don't know if you're stronger than I am but again, I'm scared of the dark. I can't see the door creaked open, the light shining down. She leans up as if she's possessed. She turns her head. She screams out the babies. And I said, the only thing I could get out was, huh? <laughs> and she goes, she, she doubles down. She goes, the baby. She starts moving the sheets and I go, I don't know what you're saying. And so what I did, what every husband and man does in that situation, I got out of the room. (laughs) And I slept on the couch. So i didn't realize that my wife talks in, at night she sleep talks and then i found out that she sleep walks and then i found out she kind of sleep does a lot of things like she cleans the house and stuff and i'm like i didn't expect that how many of y'all have a moment when you got married to your spouse and they did something that you did not expect right okay good maybe it was in that to that level and i'm still working on it one day we're gonna we're gonna have the same room where we can sleep in at night it's gonna be great and uh well, I don't be scared it's gonna be powerful um but I think, I think what I, every time I read the story about Jesus is that, that he tells stories that, that he does things that are unexpected. And he says things that are unexpected. He makes people kind of go, wait, what? That's what he does. He likes to do that. Jesus is the master storyteller. So he's, he's drawing them in. They're asking him, why would you ever hang out with sinners? And he tells these stories. And in Luke 15, he does a couple of unexpected things. The first thing that I want you to see that it's unexpected is in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. He says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. He said, and then he goes on to say, this is, this is kind of crazy for what most people say. He goes on it says, the younger one said to his father, father, give me the share of my estate. So he divided his property between them. So what you need to understand is there's two really kind of crazy things. The audience at that time would have been shocked that the son would have asked him of that because when you ask your dad in that time to divide his estate, what you were really saying is I want you to die. Your life means nothing to me. And the only way you were able to divide your estate is if you sold everything that you had. And guess what? Everything you had and all of your wealth was all built up into like your land and your cattle. And so you couldn't give your son half of your estate or in that case, it would have been, since he was the younger son, it would have been the first third, like one third. The older son got two thirds of the estate, so he wouldn't have got his one third. You know how you do that back then? It's not like you liquidate your accounts. It's worse than that. You sell your house. You sell your land. You sell your, you know, your, your, your livestock. You sell everything so that you can give him what he wants. So they were at that time going, what? Like, why would, why would he ever do that? That's so crazy. And the second unexpected thing that would have made their gasping would have been crazy is that he actually did it. So then the dad, not only, so then they're like, wait, he asked him that? And then, wait, wait, so what you're saying, Jesus, is that he actually does it? And so Jesus is just drawing him in. Again, he's the, he's the master storyteller. And he goes on to say that the guy goes and the son, so he devises a state and the son goes off. He, he gets all the money, he loses it all, he ends up in the pigs. That's kind of how, that's kind of the summary of the statement. And then it goes on to say inside of the scriptures, this is the kind of the other crazy, uh, unexpected thing. He starts in verse 17. He says, and when he came to his senses, because you and I do that sometimes, we'll get into sin, and then we'll come to our senses. We'll kind of go like, well, that wasn't what I thought it would be. Anybody else with me do that? And like, man, that was a really neat idea until I did it, and now it's terrible. And so now, because oftentimes we'll do sin. That's what sin's like. It's sin's like, hey, look, come do this, and then you end up with the pigs. It's kind of terrible. And so he comes to his senses, and he does this. He says, and said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. It's like, man, why would I ever give up all that stuff for this? This seems to be a terrible idea. This is terrible. I don't understand. Like, why? So here's what I'm going to do. He goes into verse 18. This is so good. He goes, I will set out and go back to my father, and this is what I'm going to say to him. And then he starts rehearsing all these things he's going to say to his dad before he gets there. Now, what's interesting about this is that you and I do this a lot. So you and I will make a mistake. You and I will sin. Do something crazy. And then we have the audacity to say stuff like this. God, okay, God, look, I'm going to come back to church one day, but when, when I'm good. God, okay, wait, okay, 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 God, like, I can't come right now. I'm doing a lot of bad things. I'm not doing right. I'm not being a Christian. Okay, God, like, uh, when I'm a Christian, then I'm going to come have dinner with you. Okay, God, okay, and I got it all figured out. When I'm a better husband, a better father, when I do the right things as a mom, when I'm the perfect mom, when I get everything together, when my Facebook feed lines up with my real life, then I'm going to come to church. And I think God goes, why are you rehearsing and not just coming back. And so oftentimes what we can do is we can get into that a little bit. If you're not careful, you and I can rehearse our sin to God. God, I'm going to be really, really good. I'm going to be really, really good. And you ever notice that you never become that good enough to come back to God? Have you Anybody? Just me? Like I've realized like that's just something I'm never going to, that's a battle I'm never going to win. And the enemy would love for you to just rehearse your sin. Yeah, keep telling God how bad you are. Keep telling God, I'm like, when you're ready, really good. Because the last thing you need is to go back to church. And I've always told people, the church is not a, a country club. It's a hospital. And so this isn't a place where everybody's got it all worked out. Look around. There's a lot of weird people in here. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking at the number one weirdo, right? Come on. Like, we're do- but why? Because we're all messed up and we're all sinful. And if you're not careful, the one thing that's going to keep you from God is not the enemy. It's you. It's kind of like when you're younger, you know, if you like, I, I like, if you broke a window in a house and you start talking to your brother, you're like, hey, like, well, okay, well, how do we, we got to rehearse this story, okay? Like, we need to like get this all together before we get it right. So before we go see mom and dad, we got to get this together because like, oh, you know, we got to. And it's like, no, just go tell your mom and dad so things can get fixed, right? The window's still broken. The longer you talk about it, the window stays broken, right? The longer you talk about it, your life stays broken. Just come back to the Father. God wants you with him. Don't miss out on time with him. Don't be saying, when I'm good with church, when I'm good, I'll go to church. Don't be saying, you know, oh, man, as long as everything's right. No, no, everything's never going to be all right. Just come to church, and you'll find out how all these things start to get all right. Why? Because you get around God. You get around the, the, the Father. So he stops rehearsing, and he finally gets back, and then we pick it up in verse 20. Verse 20, he says this. Go to verse 20. Boop. Go to verse 20. Push the button. There you go. All right. So he got up and he went to his father and he said, But while he was still a long way off, this is so good. Everybody say long way off. This is so good. It's like, it's it's like our he's telling a story. Anytime Jesus tells a story, he's telling it for a purpose. He's not just telling a story so you guys can be like, Man, that's a good story. Or you walk out and you go, Yeah, you know, I'd give that a five-star rating on you know, Rotten Tomatoes. That'd be a great story. That's a great movie. No, he's telling you a story to try to give you an idea and a glimpse onto how God is and how we are and how we can get better at living this life with God. And he he does this interesting thing. He he tells this story that would make people go, wait, 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 he did what? And and he says, it was still a long way off. His father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him and and he ran. He ran to his son. And so people in that day would have been like, so wait a minute. The guy didn't even, the son didn't even get an opportunity to repent? But wait, why would the dad be filled with compassion? He hasn't said anything to him yet. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, you you, you told the story wrong. You you should have said he got to him and then he apologized and he repented and he made it right. And then the dad was filled with compassion, right? Because like that's how it's supposed to go. And Jesus, no, I got it right the first time. No, he's, he's my son. And that day, it was very uncultural for men to run. Men didn't run. Little kids ran. Women ran. Young men ran. Men did not run. So for his dad to run to his son, he broke two major cultural norms. He not only didn't wait for a repent moment, To extend grace, he also threw off the cultural norm of not running. He said, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters right now other than my son getting grace. So my question to you, what we have to ask ourselves in this text is where where do we need to throw off cultural norms to extend grace, religious norms to extend grace? Where is it in our life where you need to adjust a little bit so that you can give to someone what you got, because someone had to give you what they got where where is it in our life where we 're looking for moments to give people the grace that you didn 't earn that i didn 't earn, that we get to walk out with, where others do stuff like this others they they instead of extending grace they they do this they they, they first could wait for. An apology? Are you waiting for an apology? That's other people talk. That's normal stuff that people, that's what the world teaches you. Father didn't wait for an apology. Or, or maybe you're waiting for them to be good. Maybe you're waiting for them to just be good at now. Like, okay, you stop being bad. There's someone who hurt you in your life. There's someone who needs grace. There's someone who did you wrong. There's someone who hurt, they, they, they did not do what you thought they would do. And you're waiting for them to, to apologize or you're waiting for them to be good. Or maybe you're waiting for them to, to just, just like, like, well, I'm waiting for them to come to me, right? None of us, you do. None of everybody in this church does this. This is other churches. Um, Where well, you're waiting for someone to make it right. Like, I'm going to wait for them to come to me. If they want a better relationship with me, then I'll wait. I have Facebook Messenger. I haven't blocked them yet. But the dad, hear me now, the dad says, let the world be that way. I'm going to run to the one who offended me the most and give him what he didn't give me and what I got for free. Where are you willing to throw out cultural norms to extend grace. Second Corinthians says this, I love this, and God's grace reaches more and more people, and there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. The point of grace is not so that you get glory, it's so that God gets glory. And it's unfair to him because it's his grace to give away. And so you would think, that's it. Story's over. That's what most pastors preach. Prodigal son returns. The funny thing is, is that have you ever read the Bible? The story doesn't end there. Cuz there were two people he was talking to. The sinners and the Pharisees. This is where I got you. Now you're hooked. You ready? New character, here we go. Jesus goes on to say in the story, "Meanwhile, the older son, new 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 character. Wait a minute. There's two sons." Oh, okay. So then people are like, really confused. Jesus, we don't really understand what you're saying. So he said, okay, he, he was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. And we're going to go fast. So here we go. Get, get, just get ready. Get, get your shoes on. Here we go. And so he said, so he called one of the servants and asked him, what he was, what was going on? Like, what's happening? I don't understand. And he said, your brother has come. And He replied, and your father was killed. The cat, fattened calf, which meant everything, which by the way, you did not do that unless you were like, you waited years and years and years and years to do this. And he was like, what? He did what? That's my fattened calf. And he said, but because he was back and he's safe and he's sound. And he goes on verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Isn't that interesting? The older brother gets mad because grace was given to someone he thought shouldn't get it. And so he said. so his father went out and pleaded with him. This is what it so good about God. He doesn't leave the religious older brother to just stew in his religiousness. He goes out, stop it. I need you to pay attention. And he said, but he answered his father and said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. He's like, look, I've been doing all this good stuff. I've been good. I've been the good, the best. I've been the goodest. He's like, I'm a slave for you, and you never disobeyed your order. I did everything you said, God. Like, when you said to do this, like, Father, like, come on. I did this. And he said, yet you never gave me even a goat. Well, why you get no Big Mac? Come on. He was trying to give steak out to my brother so I could celebrate with my friends. You didn't do nothing for me. And he said, but when this son of yours, this son of yours, he's not my brother. He's a son of yours. Not me. He ain't one of us. He says, who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You, you kill the fat and calf for him. You giving him steak? And he says, my son, the Father said, you're missing it. You've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Religion can really distort your eyes. Rule keeping makes you think you're really good. He goes on. Is that it? I guess that's it. (laughs) That's my bad. Well, he said the one who's lost is now he's found. So he, he ends the story in just the most unexpected way. I, I don't want you to miss this, okay? This is important, okay? If you're a guest with us, this isn't for you. If you don't know Jesus in here, this isn't for you. This is good. I'm going to get the Christians right now. Y'all ready? This is awesome. So if you're like a guest and you don't know God, you are be like, yeah, get him. I'm going to get him. <laughs> I got you. Um. The problem with the older brother is that is you and I. We were all the younger brother at some point. We all didn't know God. We were all the sinner. The problem is, is that, hey, you need to know this. In our area, the problem is not relig- uh, irreligious. You know, Like someone from California, and out there, it was all younger brother talk. Because not many people knew God. It was kind of an ungodly area, ungodly culture, Bay Area. It just wasn't like that. But here in Texas, in San Antonio, in a highly religious, Catholic, Lutheran, Protestant, churchy culture, our issue in a lot of ways is not necessarily being younger brother, it's being older brother. Because, because the issue is that Jesus was not just talking to the irreligious. He was talking to the religious too. Remember, it was not just the tax collectors and sinners who were in the audience. It was the Pharisees and Christians, the followers of Jesus. And so Jesus, in the master storyteller that he is, he doesn't just tell you about the people who are lost that need to be found. He tells you about the people who are found and are still lost. And the funny, the funny thing is, is if you're not careful, the, the, I would actually go, I could argue and debate that the one who's more lost is the one who knows God and doesn't have a relationship with him. Because the worst kind of deception is self-deception because you don't even know you got it wrong. And so what we could do, here's how it plays out. Here's what we could do. We could be like, man, I'm Christian. And I got it all figured out, and I'm good. And then when you see something happen with someone who, like, is not like you, and then you see, like, the church extend grace, or you see the pastor extend grace, or you see a brother extend grace, or you see someone else extend grace, you look at them sometimes and go, like, why would you ever do that to that person? Why would you kill the fat and calf for him? And you start to have what I call older brother syndrome. And so Jesus knew this, and he was talking to them saying, be careful. Be, don't miss it. And so if if that's the case, as I wrap up today, I want to give you quick three signs you're an older brother. That if you act like this, you being an older brother, come on. If you be careful, you might be more of you might not be a lost person who doesn't know God but you could be a Pharisee who's so stuck in his religion and right and rightness and your righteousness and your self-righteousness that you miss God that not you look you you know what the the hardest thing that the Pharisees had to deal with was the fact that they knew all the right things except didn't know the right person He was Jesus was standing in front of him, and instead of having a relationship with Jesus, who was right in front of him, who was the who was literally the manifestation of every law that they were trying to keep, he was right there, and they were saying, "Just Jesus, get out of the way! You don't understand. There's religion. We got to do this stuff. You got to... They say, "Be careful. Three signs you're an older brother. First one is this: We obey God to control our circumstances. Be, Be careful that your rule keeping is not with the like. You don't have the." The heart to keep the rules because you're trying to control your circumstances by controlling God. He said, but he answered to his father in verse 29. He says this. He says, he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. So he's mad because God gave something to his younger brother, to someone who didn't obey the rules. And He's like, you're not doing God. God, you're not doing what I thought you would be doing. Have you ever noticed that God's kind of ornery? Have you ever noticed that when you figured, you thought you figured him out and he didn't do what you thought? Oh, 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 you thought you got it all. Oh, so you were doing the rules because you wanted to get your life. Like you wanted to like A plus B equals see me. Oh, so you put God in your formula box. So now like all of a sudden you, 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 oh, so you were trying to follow the rules so that you could control me. Oh, oh, oh. I thought you were just following the rules because you were part of the family because you love me. And the problem with this, it doesn't work because here's what happens. I'm, I'm going to show you what happens. When life goes good, here's what happens. When life goes good, you credit your rule keeping. I did it the best. God is so good. I'm doing so good. Isn't it so good? And when you you notice that when you make it all about you, it can't be about God? And so you're like, oh, no, I kept the rules. That's why my life is great. No, I did the rules. God's good. I'm good. I'm good. But then here's the problem with that. When life goes bad, you blame God. Like, God, I followed all the rules. Hey, have you ever done everything the Bible says and then something still goes bad? Why? Because God can't be figured out. Because God's not a part of your formula. Because God's smarter than you. God's smarter than me. And so if you follow rules just to control God and therefore control your life, you're going to come up acting like an older brother going like, why? I don't understand. I did all the rules. And you're still giving them out. This, does, this doesn't compute. That could, could, be, could, could be that you're, you're an older brother. Be careful. And I think what was true for the older brother could be true for you and I. Is you can be, I think that's how Christians become old and bitter. Not old in age, they get old because they've seen it all and they get frustrated with the fact that God did not do what they wanted God to do. And you didn't let God be God and by definition God can do whatever he wants. So the younger brother or the older brother, it literally says he got bitter and angry. Be careful you don't get bitter and angry. And if you are bitter and angry, it could be because you try to control God and God can't be controlled. He doesn't like your formulas, and he likes to break them a little bit. Just a little. Second thing is this. So we obey God to control, or, or we obey God to get his stuff. He says in verse 29, he says, look, all these years, uh, it's funny, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He says, yet you never gave me a goat. I've been obeying you, waiting for you to give me mine. Where's mine? I'm the one who got it right. Why didn't you give me mine? You gave him his. Why can't I get mine? Like, don't you, don't you know I'm so good? Don't you know I've been working so All these years, I've been slaving for you. Older, older brothers love to, do, to use obedience as like a means to an end. God, I'll follow you for your stuff. I'll follow you because I'm waiting for what you're going to give me. Kellen, my son, the other day, he was, uh, we leave, some, sometimes we'll leave him with a, you know, babysitter or something like that. We don't leave him alone. Like, they're crazy, 11 year old. And so, uh, but he, I left him, you know, and I said, hey, son, you know, and when, sometimes when we leave, I'll say, hey, babe, I want you to be good, be good for the, uh, the, the babysitter. And if you're good, you know, hey, look, like, mom and dad, I'll give you a piece of candy or something like that, you know. So, so I left one day, the other day, and I left. And uh, I don't always do it. And so, but, but I left the other day, and my son, I come back, and he goes, Dad, I was good. Where's my candy? And I love those conversations. I'm like, oh, give me a reason. <laughs> I don't know if you're like a parent like me. I'm like, give me a reason. G- give me. Just say say I won't. Say I won't. Um, sorry, California coming out. Um, but I looked at him. I said, son, so are you just doing right things just to get my stuff? Or are you doing right things because you need to do right things? Are you obeying because you need to obey? Because that's what we do. We do. We obey. We listen. We honor mama and dad. Or are you doing it just to get my stuff? And he goes, to get your stuff. (laughs) So we had a teaching moment. (laughs) But you see what I'm saying? Sometimes you can obey God. Just be like, hey, God, I'm waiting for your stuff. Come on. Ready. I'm ready for it. Come on. Come on. I gave so that I can be given to. I saw it in the Bible. Let's go. I go to church. You're supposed to make my life great. Come on. Make my life great. You are now genie. Here's my three wishes. You are now Santa God. Older brothers obey God not because they love him. They obey to get his stuff. The last one is this. We obey God to be superior. He says this in verse 30. Don't miss this. He says, but when the son of yours... Do you feel the tension in that? Do you feel the disdain in that? Do you feel the religion in that? Do you feel the gross, pious, self-righteous? He's not me. He's yours. The son of yours. And and I love how the father talks to him at the end. He says, this brother of yours. He says, he is you and you is he. Y'all are together in this. You don't realize you're both lost. Older brothers like to say these types. Of, they come to me a lot. I'll just say this: I get a lot of older brothers who talk to me as a pastor, because a lot of older brothers like to come to me and tell me, like, "Hey, we need to teach about this, and you need to talk about this sin, and need to talk about that sin, and you need to get on that, and we need to do this." They say things like this. This is this is really good. I love it. This is like because so like like um uh not can you can so can you believe they they do that. <sighs> They say their sin is their their sin. That that sin's worse than my sin. That's their they're they're worse than are sinner the, they're the sinners the most. I'm better. <laughs> That's your son, not my son. He, they say, I would never, I wouldn't they love to say always and never. Oh I would oh I would never do that, Pat Pat, uh, I would never no, you would I would, uh uh. No. No. And I always laugh because I'm like, man, you just like the younger brother. You or we, we are you, we're all in this together. We're all lost. You, the problem with you is you don't even know it. You think you found. You just as lost, maybe even more. You don't even know you're lost. You're tripping. You ever want to look at somebody and just stop, like, stop. You're tripping. And, and the problem is, is that, that, that the Bible says in Romans for all. All have sinned and fallen short. All have sinned. We are the sinner. All. You know what "all" means in the Greek there? Yeah, it's not a trick question. It's all. It's all. Um, I'm gonna close with this thought. I remember when I, um, you know, when I planted this church, and uh, and I say "I," that's a loose term, because really. I didn't plant this church. Y'all planted this church. But I remember when I first started thinking about it, I'm like, you know, I want to do this the right way. You know, because, like, there's, like, a weird thing inside churches now. Just so you guys know, it's, like, weird for pastors to, like, leave churches rogue. I don't care what my pastor says. I'm going to go do what I want. I'm going to plant a church. Show him. And so I was like, man, I don't want to be like that. I want to really honor God and do it well. And so I left my church well. I had the blessing of my pastor. I came here. I honored people. I did things what I felt like was the right way. And then we planted. And God blessed us like crazy. Planted with like 360 people. And I'm like, we didn't know anyone. So the fact that anybody came out, it was like, this is a miracle. And then I remember reading something. Again, you know where I found it? Social media. It's disease. And so I'm looking at it. It was my friends. And he, I know him. And I know his story and I know how he planted and it wasn't good. And he did all the opposite things. He did all the wrong, quote unquote, wrong ways, right? And he's, you know, he left, didn't ask for his pastor. He left in rebellion, said, I'm going to do that, did all that, stole people from other churches. I mean, it was just crazy. Just, I'm telling you, like stole money. I mean, like it was bad. And I'm like, and I look at it and he had, I'm not kidding you. He had one more person on his launch than we did. I think we had 365, 366, and then he had 367. And I'm like, really? Because it's subtle. Come on, I'm I'm giving you like, I'm giving you how I don't have this thing figured out, okay? It's subtle, because it comes to us. The older brother syndrome is subtle. It comes to you, and it doesn't even look like it. And so I'm like, God. So you know what I did? I went to God. I put my older brother jacket on. And I went to God. I said, God, I did it all the right way. I'm the I did I followed your rules. I did it. Come on. Like you were supposed to do it my way. I'm trying to control my circumstance. Like this is what it was supposed to be. And then I was supposed to do all your rules, and then you're supposed to give me a bunch of stuff. How could you ever bless that son of yours? Sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? I remember driving home and I was like frustrated with it and I was frustrated with it, and I heard God say this. I'm not even joking. if I'm lying, I'm dying. okay? I literally heard God say this. He said, "All this time, you were with me." That's what the father said to the son. So all this time, I thought you were just trying to be we were supposed to be I just thought this was we were just doing things. We're in relationship. You're doing it to control me? You were good to get my stuff. You were good to make sure you're superior. Have you ever noticed that when you feel superior to someone, you don't forgive them? So I got rebuked. And I was thinking about the story. And I said, um, I asked God, I said, God, why, why in the first two stories, the first two parables you said that the father or the mother or the, you know, the, 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 Lead character went after the son, went after the lost thing, went after the coin, went after the sheep. But in the third one, the dad never did. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, why didn't he go chase him into the city? And so I did some research, and I found out, and this is so good. Don't miss this. If you checked out, check back in, okay? Um, Stop playing on Facebook. Check in. Let them know you're here at church. But check back in, okay? Um, He said the the Scholars said that in that time, if sons ever rebelled against their fathers, the responsibility fell on the older brother to go get them. So, 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 so there's a whole lot of younger brothers in the world. Who whose responsibility is it to go get them? The brother should have been the one throwing the party. The brother should have been the one running after the son. The brother should have been the one saying, hey, look, dad, we got to go get him. We got to go get him. He's lost. We got to go get him. We need to be the ones in the world going, we got to go get him. We got to go get him. Stop asking God to reach the world. You reach the world for God. That means your neighbor's Stop praying for your neighbors, God. I wish you would reach your neighbors. God saying, I wish you would reach your neighbors. Stop saying, God, I wish you would reach my coworkers. God saying, I wish you would reach. Go on, your older brother. You know you're in the family. Go tell them how good it is. Tell them to come back. Dad's waiting, arms open, grace-driven, love driven, ready to go. Jesus' salvation is a feast. That both brothers are invited to.